Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Rizzo and I'm the host of the show where I get to interview Olympic athletes and hopefuls on their story and path to the games. Today, we have Hugh McAdam, singular, not McAdams. Might have messed that up once or twice during the interview. But Hugh was an awesome, is an awesome, awesome interview. He's such a great guy getting to learn about rowing, um, the specifics more so about it and really just understanding what it takes to become an Olympic hopeful. Um, we kind of get nitty and gritty about some of this stuff and really get inside what it takes um, from a financial perspective, a mental perspective, a physical perspective, really everything he's doing. It, he is a full-time rower. This is his full-time job and, and understanding what that means and, and how he has to go about that is, is absolutely fantastic. So we're really, really glad we had Hugh on. Uh, before the interview, though, a little word from launchingpodcast.com. If you listen to this once or twice before, you're going to keep hearing it for a little while longer. Launchingpodcast.com is an easy step-by-step video course on how to create your own podcast. I believe everybody does want to do this. If, if you don't, I don't know, it's just so much fun getting to talk to people into a microphone, recording it, and then realizing that uh, somebody has heard my voice on literally every single continent except Antarctica. And maybe they downloaded it and went there. I don't know. I don't know, but launching podcast is absolutely fantastic. It's a step-by-step video course from ideation all the way to your fourth episode of the podcast. Um, you know why I, I use this course and I've created all of my podcasts using this information and we've gotten well over almost 10,000 downloads at this point by this, you know, by the time you're listening, maybe we're at a hundred thousand. I don't know. I don't know. Anything's possible, but um, why did I create this podcast? I wanted to gain incredible relationships, which I've done. I wanted to become a thought leader, which I've done. And I wanted to brand myself just a little bit more and get more information out there about what I'm doing and how I'm helping these athletes as well as their stories, which are all incredible. So make sure you go to launchingpodcast.com. Use promo code Mike for $50 off their video course, step-by-step easily affordable video course. You can get 50 extra bucks off using promo code Mike. So thank you so much for that. And without further ado, here is Hugh. All right, today's special guest, Hugh McAdam, USA Rowing Olympic hopeful. Hugh was born September 13th, 1985 in Hollis, New Hampshire. Hugh started rowing as a freshman at Washington College in 2004. After graduating in 08, Hugh moved to Philadelphia to skull at the Undyne Barge Club. In 2013, Hugh won his first national championship in the lightweight single and represented the U.S. at a World Cup event in England. Since he has won three U.S. national titles, won five consecutive head of the Charles Regattas, 14 through 18, competed in two World Cups and a World Championship. 2018, he and his partner, Peter Schmidt, previous episode, make sure you go check that out, raced at the U.S. World Row Championship in the lightweight double. Hugh, thanks for hanging out with you, man. I appreciate it. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I promise you, Hugh, the pleasure is all mine. So <laughs> let's start the story right well. Um, you know, back at the beginning, um, you know, tell us what it was like uh, growing up in cold, snowy New Hampshire. So, yep, grew up in cold, snowy New Hampshire. It's only cold half the year. The other half the year, it's not quite as cold and just it's spectacular. Oh. Um, yeah, you wouldn't know it, but there's actually more than one season in New England, which is hmm. great. Um so, uh, yep, I grew up a uh, very small town, uh, kind of out in the middle of nowhere in southern New Hampshire. Grew up playing in the woods, running around, riding mountain bikes, and uh, trying not to get hurt too bad outside. That's awesome. Yeah, that's normally, you know, what kids do, try not to get hurt, or at least that's exactly. what their parents ask them to do, right? Yeah. That's all. As long as they didn't come home with too many scrapes, my mom didn't care, and she fed Exactly. Me. It was pretty exactly. easy. That's awesome. And what um, did you so did you grow up playing a lot of sports at a young age, or was it more just like an active lifestyle? I guess 
it was an active lifestyle. I wouldn't say playing. I tried a lot of sports. Ah, nice. Um, All right. But I never really found one that I, you know, was good at. Mm-hmm. Coordination was always kind of a problem with ball sports. So mm. um, you get hit yeah, in the face. Isn't that fun? Oh yeah, it's always a blast to get hit in the face and jam your fingers and yeah. So I was never really good at you know basketball or baseball or football or any of those things. So nice. Well, you figured something out along the way, and that's really all that matters. Yeah. So tell us, um, where is Washington College? Just out of curiosity, Chestertown, Maryland. Okay. So another small town, uh, mm-hmm. Eastern Shore, Maryland. It's about twenty miles due east of Baltimore, across the bay. Okay, cool. All right, so you can get some water in there. So it, it, yeah. it's starting to all make sense. So when you got there as a freshman, you walked on to the rowing team. Are they known for their rowing there in Washington College? Uh, when I well, a little bit more now, but when I started there, no, not at all. Okay. So then, what uh, was it? What was it that drew you to the rowing team? Was it a buddy? Was it a roommate? What What got you um, to think so, about doing? It? So. Um, Washington College was the school that accepted me that was the furthest from home, which at the time seemed like a spectacular decision. Mm-hmm. And uh, so first week on campus, I didn't know anybody except my, my roommate. And he's a nice, he was a nice guy or whatever. But um, I was looking to be part of something more than just, uh, you know, a frat or mm-hmm. the, the, the school department that I was going to be in. So uh, it just kind of happened that, the rowing team every year would get as many walk-ons as possible to try the sport by dragging a, uh, a boat out onto the main drag of campus and literally accosting anybody that looked kind of like an athlete. And the coach evidently thought I looked like an athlete and said, Hey, you should try this crazy thing out. And I said, sure, why not? And, um, it, it turned out we the, they found a great group of guys, and that's kind of what got me started in the sport. Uh, you know, after a week, it turned out I didn't totally suck at it, which was nice. And like I said, it was a great group of freshmen that year, and we had a ton of fun together. And that's sort of what really got me started and hooked into into the sport of rowing. That's awesome. I mean, seriously, what are the chances? I mean, what if you took a different route that day? Like, you know, I, yeah, I always exactly. love, I love that stuff. Everybody has such an incredible, like, and this is how I started story. And um, right. again, seriously, like if you just, or, or if you were five minutes later or, you know, someone else yeah, was exactly. walking in front of you, so many things could happen that you would not be sitting um, on your couch right now talking to me, but uh, nope. you are. And that's uh, no, that's your claim to fame, right? No, yeah. uh, that's awesome, man. So what, um, could you explain the sport for us a little bit? We know it's a race, you know, gun goes off. You got to get to the, uh, you know, get to the end and that's the person who wins. But say you're sitting yeah. on the couch next to me that we have the Olympic channel on a rowing comes on. What's some of the things that you might point out to a, a layman, someone that only really watches it once every four years, like, Hey, maybe pay attention to this next time. Um, so there's a couple of things. Uh, one, you'll notice that there, everybody, both men and wi- men and women race the same distance, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And at the Olympics, there are equal numbers of both men and women, which is also awesome. You don't see that in every sport. Mm -hmm. Um, So you'll notice that there are different boat classes, right? So some events, you only see one person in a boat racing uh, six lanes across. Sometimes you'll see eight people and a little like sort of half person in the stern of the boat racing. You'll have nine people going. 
Um, so there's the, and then there's, uh, so there's different uh, numbers of people that race in uh, each bow class, which is mm -hmm. pretty cool. And uh, the strategy and how you train and the teamwork involved is a little different from the, from the different bow classes. Um, the other thing that rowing still has, which no other racing sport does, is heavyweight versus lightweight. Um, so we have, we have two weight classes in the sport for both men and women, um, where you have, uh, it gives the opportunity for somebody that's more my size, you know, six foot, 150, 160 pounds to compete against people that are of similar, uh, size, sort of mm -hmm. like in a combat sport, like karate or taekwondo, you don't, or boxing, you know, 160 pound guy isn't going to fight a 220 pound guy. That's mm -hmm. just. You know, rowing, rowing has that same dynamic, um, at least for now in the Olympics. Very cool. And yes, we, as I stated before, you are in the lightweight division. Um, mm -hmm. I wouldn't mind being six foot one sixty though. Five, seven is kind of <laughs> boring. It's kind of boring from down here, but no, that, that's great. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. And then what, a, yeah. what about like, um, your, your training regimen and maybe how that's kind of evolved over the years and really what it looks like now compared to, you know, when you were 19 and woke up i'm not gonna say hungover but woke up maybe tired and then tired. Had to go, yeah well, we'll very go tired, tired yeah and then had to go and, and train at six o'clock in the morning um so i think the the uh, a couple of the big changes for me are that i actually know what i'm doing now that's important so i like i understand I have a better understanding of like the science of physiology and training that goes into building a training plan at this point. Um, whereas before, you know, waking up tired at six o'clock in the morning, coach says, go do this. You just go do it. You don't really think about it. Mm -hmm. um, and going along with that, understanding the background and the science of everything, I can, um, I have a better understanding of what my body's going through. And if something is going wrong or I feel off, I can have a better idea of what's going on and know if I need to back off training a little bit or take some time off or whatever the case might be. Whereas when I was 19, it was, you just push through everything because you're young and dumb. Mm -hmm. um, so I think those are, so I think it's made my training especially as I've gotten older and need to be smarter about it, more effective and productive mm -hmm. than, it was, than it was when I was younger. Very cool. And so like what, what is a typical day, I guess, for you now? I'm sure every week is a little different than others and leading up to competition. So could you kind of just give yeah. us a, a solid rundown of, I guess, what a normal day looks like? So a normal day, my days have changed. I've tried a, training a, um, a different training strategy this year which I think has been pretty effective so far. So, um, you know, over the last, I've been in Florida for the past uh, three weeks now, getting ready for our first trials regatta. Ooh, hopefully I didn't come through. Um, getting ready for our first trials regatta. And uh, so every morning rowing for 90 minutes to two hours, give or take. Um, and then every afternoon, uh, six days a week, I've been cross training or weight training. Um, so, Three afternoons a week, I've been swimming. Uh, two afternoons have been running. Two afternoons have been cycling, and then two afternoons of weight training. So there's a oh, couple, how there's many afternoons whole, is that? How many afternoons in a week do you have? I have it's like eight sessions in the afternoon. Okay, eight uh, afternoon <laughs> sessions. So there's a couple of overlaps. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, a couple yeah, of overlaps yeah. in there. So um, 
you know, a typical training day right now for me is getting somewhere between three and four hours of activity in a -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. So a typical training week is, you know, 20 to 26 hours of training. Okay. That's most, that's, that's, that's on your way to a full-time job and then including, I'm assuming the study involved and I I don't know if it's film sessions, but like really understanding and and paying attention and and Mm -hmm. recovery involved. That sounds like a Mm -hmm. a close to a 40 hour a week job. It's a full-time job. Yep. A hundred percent. I mean, so what, so you said you had a train, a change in training. What brought this about? Um, and I guess how different does your training look than last year? Okay. Um, so the, uh, the last couple of years, I, I would say I've been on a more traditional rowing training program where you row twice a day, you know, you're, it's 10, 10 to 12 sessions a week, you're rowing eight to 10 of those sessions, lifting twice a week, and then, uh, you know, I've been doing that for year after year after year, and um, doing the same sort of weight training year after year after year, and I felt like... 20 going into 2016 and 2017 I had hit a pretty big plateau and I wasn't getting any faster so I went back I record I try and record everything that I've done as an athlete so I went back a couple of years to when I felt like I had my last most successful year successful year in 2014 and um, I was coming off of a pretty severe injury that winter where I didn't row at all for about three and a half months. Um, I was uh, just on the stationary bike or on the bike or running or cross-country skiing. And um, looking back at that and then where I ended that season, even though I didn't qualify for a world championship or world cup that year, I still felt like that was my fastest season. Um, So I kind of took that model and applied it to – this, well, I guess the cycle started back in November, but applied it to that and took about three months away from the sport of rowing and started to get uh, into triathlon training a little bit more, uh, mostly because I think they're very complementary of each other. Mm-hmm. And it takes a similar amount of time. It's a similar cardiovascular to, it's a little bit more cardiovascular than power-based, but, you know, in the winter, you're trying to develop a cardio base anyway. Um, and then getting back into rowing once I came down and once I came down to Florida. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the major changes that I I made this year. And I think so far it's been really good, healthy, productive change. Um, But I'll have more of a concrete idea in April when we actually race NSR one. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's always like, um, one thing that you, uh, I, I don't know, it's kind of been in the news a little bit is like um, with children, like one sport athletes. Like if you're mm-hmm. just doing the same sport over and over again, yeah, you might get good at those, but there are complementary pieces from other sports that will help. You know, look at Steve Nash. Right. He's an incredible soccer player, and right. he also is a very incredible basketball player. You know, Odell Beckham exactly. Jr., same thing. Like he was a really yep. good soccer player, and now he's a really great wide receiver who has other skill sets than – athletes that were just wide receivers growing up. So I think that that right, makes exactly. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And what have you seen, I guess, in yourself um, and the improvements in yourself since you tried doing something like that or since you started training like this? Um, I've uh, seen it myself. Um, like athletics wise, like in your performance. Oh, um, yeah. Um, so the, my, I think the biggest 
the, the, the most interesting part for me, maybe the biggest improvement, I don't know, has been in the swimming aspect of things mm-hmm. where when I started this whole process, it, I wouldn't have called it swimming. I would have called it not drowning. Flailing. <laughs> yeah. Flailing, not drowning. Um, it was ugly. And now it's to the point where it's not that I could be a competitive swimmer over a short distance, but getting to the point now where over a longer distance, it's, it's something that could be, you know, there, there's some potential there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's helped develop um, a little bit more rhythm. It's definitely helped with breathing, you know, because you can't breathe mm-hmm. underwater, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it helps with like the rhythm of breathing, gas exchange, all that stuff, um, which I think has translated to a better cardiovascular base or more controlled cardiovascular base for rowing that is yeah i would have absolutely never thought of the breathing aspect of swimming but that like once you say it it completely makes sense and then what you're doing i mean i've never rowed a boat um but mm-hmm. I, I assume the breathing aspect of it is extremely important and making sure that yeah. you're you know everything it seems very rhythm based whenever i watch it so that that definitely it is. makes sense very cool. I love it. See, you learn something new every day, man. Learn something new yeah. every day. Um, Not a waste so, of a day. <laughs> no day is a waste of a day. Um, so um, let's go back to specifically your, your story and how we got to this point. What, yeah. um, after college, I mean, it sounds like, so you got into it. It was something to do. You had a group of friends. You guys enjoyed it. You did it for four years. Mm-hmm. What kept you in the sport? What made you after your senior year of college saying like, you know what? I actually want to continue to pursue this and see where I can get with it. Uh, it was a couple of factors. Um, I did a couple of summer programs, one in, in Philly at Penny C and then the other at Riverside. The, the summer 07 was in Penny C and that was an awesome experience. Um, it was an, again, another really good group of lightweight guys. We had a ton of fun. We, uh, we went to Canadian Henley and we did pretty well. And that was like my, that's a, big regatta up in Canada and that was kind of like my first taste of international racing mm-hmm. you call it that because it was not in America I guess yeah, but I mean it's Canada no yeah I know don't want to don't want to not Canada um so so that was cool and then my senior year I again good group we didn't totally suck we had a pretty we had a reasonably successful year um we had a good lightweight four it's just kind of the way it worked out um, we, uh, we won our conference championship. We went to dad Vales. We came really close to meddling and that's nothing that I'm bitter about at all. Um, and then, uh, did the summer program at Riverside, which was not as great of an experience as the summer before. Um, but I also had very supportive coaches that saw some potential and really suggested that I keep going with it. Um, and that, so the the summer of 07 combined with my specifically my John Leakley my senior year college coach um really suggesting that I move forward with the sport is kind of what kept me kept me in the sport for another year and then again and then it became a thing of seeing how far I could push it like how far I could get in the sport um you know, because once you once you start seeing success, you kind of want to see how much more success you can get. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, 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 hundred percent. I mean, it sounds like you're driven. Um, you're a very dedicated and driven and motivated yeah. person, and that's that's what gets you going. That's what gets you up in the morning to have 
a full-time job of training and, and, and competing. So I mm. love it, man. That's incredible. Um, and yeah, you clearly stuck around and you've racked up. I mean, I don't need to read everything again, unless you want me to, I'm cool with it, but no, I don't, don't think I need to read it all, all right. again. I mean, at least let's do the three national titles and the five consecutive head of the, uh, Charles, um, regatta championship i mean those are pretty yep. solid um and we'll get to each of those competitions mm-hmm. in a little bit but one thing so actually we can kind of get to it now one thing i want to understand so how long have you been on team usa for uh let's say five years because so now we're going to get into the politics of oh, perfect i love politics USA. yes uh, <laughs> so i technically have represented the the u.s uh, well, uh, for five se- for in five seasons, okay. 2013, 2015, 2016, 2017, and last year. Okay. Um, so I guess you could say those were the years that I've been on the team. But as a lightweight scholar, it's a little nebulous as to when you're on the team versus when you're not. Interesting. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. I don't think we need to dive too much deeper into... I don't, uh, I don't want to say anything that's going to get me in trouble. Well, hey, I have editing capabilities, so you can say everything right, you want, great. and we can go back and edit it, so don't worry. Um, and so one thing, actually, I'm curious about, what does it mean to you to represent your country um, on you know, literally the highest stage within your sport? It's, it's, it's an honor, is what it is. Um, like, you know, part of, part of what fuels this, there is this intrinsic patriotic... Mm-hmm. thing in all of us is like you want to go and you want to compete against the best of the best and you want to show that you know we you know our country can be the best of the best at something um so it's a huge honor to be able to go and do that Heck and yeah. actually try to kick the crap out of france or england or russia or whoever we're rooting for you. Kick the crap out of them, man. We appreciate yeah, you. Exactly. Um, we appreciate people like you representing us on the highest stage. So thank you so much for that. I really do of appreciate course. it. Um, so 2016. So you were on the team in 13. Yep. I don't want to ask what happened in 14. That just sounds like a whole rabbit hole. Oh, we can talk about that. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, Let's talk about it. Yeah, we can totally talk about that. So I developed compartment syndrome in both my forearms. Oh, what is that? Ah, one question. Um, so... Compartment syndrome is when the muscles in given body part expand beyond the point of uh, the stretchiness of the fascia. So fascia, the fascia are these, uh, they're kind of like skin cells that surround your muscles and they're supposed to be flexible and stretchy to allow your muscles to expand when uh they do work because that's just what happens when like you exercise your muscles swell a little bit um so what happened in with me is that the training program i was on that winter was super effective in putting on muscles specifically in my forearms and um what would happen is i'd be on the indoor rowing machine and my forearms would swell up to the point where they would basically cut off their own blood supply yikes yeah, it's really painful. Mm-hmm. Um, you ever, it's like, um, I, you ever do those activities where the muscles really start to burn? Mm-hmm. And then you stop and that burning sensation goes away? Mm-hmm. That's not what would happen for me. It oh. would just keep burning and burning and burning. And then eventually the swelling would get so bad that I would lose blood flow to my hands and lose feeling in my hands. Yikes. All right. Well, that's a, yeah. that's a problem. 
it's it, it it is a problem. Um, I, luckily, we've adju- I've, done, I've adjusted my training so that it hasn't been an issue over the last couple of years, which is great. Um, but that so, so this is something you live with. If this is not going away, yeah, this is a constant like something I gotta pay attention to. Dang. Okay, that yeah. throws a little wrench in our plans, now, doesn't it? Um, it it does and it doesn't. Um, it's the what seems to really exacerbate it is being on the stationary ergometers like the the c2 machines mm-hmm. and um excuse me and um really heavy lifting like uh heavy deadlift or shoulder pull anything where there's a lot of force in the in the hands um so knowing that you can i can adjust my my training to mm-hmm. use equipment that won't exacerbate the situation or lifts that aren't going to make that problem worse and it's only located in your forearms yep both my forearms interesting yeah very interesting okay so that was 2014 that sounds like it was a blast yeah that wasn't great like I, well <laughs> the first half of that year wasn't great at all but like i said the second half of the year you know i ended up having a halfway decent season i was pretty happy with that so like blessing and a curse sort of thing yeah yeah now we know you can manage it and move forward yeah. i mean can't exactly. do anything about it so shoot what are you gonna do just rock right. and roll. exactly so, exactly um so that was 14 into 15 what what is the qualification process like for the olympics because now we're going to be getting into 16 in a little bit so i want to understand what you needed to do and what you're going to need to do moving forward to get to the olympics so to really simply to qualify for the Olympics in the lightweight double, you have to race it the year before. So in 2015, let's just say, uh, you, and then in 2015, finish in the top 11 at the world championships that mm-hmm. qualifies the boat. Mm-hmm. And then we would have, or we had a, well, in 2015, we didn't, we would have had a regatta to select the two guys that would race in that boat mm-hmm. at, at the Olympics. The harder way to go about that is to not qualify at the world championships. And then again, there'd be a race in at the beginning of, of the, the Olympic year to select the, the crew that would go to Lucerne and race what's called the last chance regatta. Uh, where if you finish in the top two, you can qualify for the Olympics later on that year. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's uh, everyone gets one last shot. That's really interesting. Um, yeah. All right, cool. So you have to qualify the boat. So essentially, you're qualifying the country, and then yeah. the country then has a face-off. So even if you qualify the boat, that does not mean you're going to the Olympics. You then have to win at yeah. the, 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 tri- the trials. The trials regatta. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly cool. right. That's good to know. So 2016 was an Olympic year. You were on the team. Was there a chance or an opportunity for you to make it to the 2016 games? Um, If I had been a little bit more proactive in the political side of things, maybe. Um, So again, lightweight sculling um, is all there. U.S. rowing is pretty hands off with us. So a lot of it's athlete-driven. It's about who you know, who wants to row with who, um, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I, that's not a strong suit for me. 
Um, I just want to grind and work hard and show people that I can do well via results and um, you know, not worry so much about that aspect of things. Um, and so I wasn't particularly proactive in finding a doubles partner. And um, so I ended up racing for the heavyweight single that year in 2016. Um, and didn't qualify, which wasn't super surprising. I ended up finishing sixth, I believe, overall that year, which, you know, not bad. Hey, man, um, sixth in the country at something is pretty incredible, if you ask me. Yeah. So I think that that's pretty good. So, yeah, not bad. Um, you know, especially as a lightweight trying to race a bunch of heavyweights. Well, yeah, exactly. So, that, that too. Um, so, you know, I mean, so I, in that sense, I guess I was kind of close. I like that. Yeah, let's spin it. Why not? I mean, but seriously though, almost you know, top ten in anything um, in the country, mm-hmm. considering how many people here, how many people practice the sport. I think yeah. it's incredible. Uh, if I could be top one thousand at something, I think I'd be pretty happy with it. So uh, keep doing your thing, man. And what was the reason that you went for heavyweight? And how much weight do you have to put on to become a heavyweight? Um, so to be a heavyweight, you have to weigh over one hundred and sixty pounds. That's, that's it. That's not Um, very heavy then, but okay. Anyway. Well, yeah. So, but I mean, you're talking about most of the heavyweight scholars anywhere are going to be 180 to 220. Yeah. 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 So they, they tend to be larger people. Um, uh, sorry, what was the question? Why Uh, why did you compete at the heavyweight? So the only, um, lightweight Olympic event is lightweight double. Ah, okay. So I didn't have, so they, I didn't really have anybody to a heavyweight double with, uh, wasn't going to get into a heavyweight quad. So really the only way that I was going to have a chance at even competing for a spot at the Olympics was going to be through the heavyweight single. Okay. Very cool. That makes sense. Um, unfortunate, but it seems like we got some stuff moving going forward. So that's, you know, it is what it is, but you stuck with the sport again after 16. Was that like kind of a, I don't want to say a turning point, but was there an opportunity to be like, okay, I didn't make these Olympics. You know, this was fun. Um, you know, I'm going to go live my life now. Or, or was it just kind of like, all right, cool. Let's just keep going. Like, was there ever any kind of conversation with yourself about that? There's always that conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I have that conversation like once a week with myself, actually. <laughs> like, Honestly, love it. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy be doing this. Um, there's a lot of sacrifice involved. There's a lot that there's a lot of stuff that I wouldn't be able to, that, that I can't do that. Otherwise, you know, I could do without too many problems. So, um, yeah, I ask myself that question all the time. Like, why am I doing this? And am I happy doing what I'm doing? And if that answer specifically, if to, to, am I happy is no, then I need to be done. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If I'm not yeah. getting, if I'm not deriving joy out of this, then, then what's the point? Um, the flip side of that is I still really want to see what I can do. So I don't think I fit the, 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 the top of my career yet. Mm-hmm. So it's those two things in, in conjunction. Like if I, if I think I've, I've maxed out and I'm not going to get anywhere anymore, then maybe it's time to hang it up but I don't think I'm there yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm still deriving a lot of joy out of what I do. So I don't want to stop. Then we keep but, on going, man. I love it. Exactly. But that's a conversation that comes up all the time in my head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And it seems like you're having a you have a good answer and a good uh, a good handling objection for that. So you're you're, you're solid, and I, I assume we're going to be at least running through uh, twenty twenty. But um, yes, we yes. will we will figure that out. So one thing, um, so we talked about sixteen, and as yeah. I said in the beginning, you won five consecutive head of the Charles Regattas from ah. fifteen to eighteen. What is the head of Charles Regatta, and how do you dominate it so much? <laughs> So the head of the Charles Regatta is, I believe it's the, if not the, one of the biggest regattas in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, it's held in Boston every year. Uh, I think we just had our, it's 56th or 57th year. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a little bit different than what you'd see at the Olympics. It's time trial racing over a longer distance. So you start one at a time um, and you're racing the clock over a more or less a three mile course mm -hmm. on the, on the Charles river. Um, there are typically, you know, about 10,000 competitors. This is a two day event. There's typically about 10,000 competitors and they say that it brings in 50 to 70,000 spectators to the wow. city. Okay. So it's a big deal. Um, if you know, your listeners are ever in Boston, the third week in October, totally should check it out. It's really cool. Um, it gives you a really good sense of what the sport is like. Mm -hmm. Um, so winning, that's kind of a big deal. Um, I guess it's, uh, and uh, you know, lightweight again, racing lightweight, which is a little bit different. There's, you can make the argument that it's a little bit less competitive than the, uh, the, the heavyweight or the championship event. They're the, they're the same thing, which typically has a couple of, um, you know, international athletes in it every year that have been racing at world championships. Whereas the lightweight event doesn't tend to see that. Um, but you know, you still have to show up and mm -hmm. race who's there. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and a lot can go wrong over the course of five years. So I think a lot of that too is just kind of dumb luck. Mm -hmm. Well, you I mean, know. considering what happened at the beginning of 14 and then how you're able to come back and still win, I mean, I yeah. think that right there is a testament to your, your dedication to the sport. Um, yeah. But yeah, you don't, you don't, I don't know, man, I, I don't really believe in luck. I'm more of a, you put yourself in good situations and good things are going to happen. And right. you luckily win an event five years in a row. Like I appreciate well, you, humble, <laughs> man, but there's no need. It's fine. Well, I, no, there is some luck involved. Um, this is, I think it was, was it, it was 2016. Um, they had changed the, they changed the, uh, the, the way the regatta was run a little bit and they started the lightweights right after the champ singles, which was a little irritating, but whatever. Um, mostly cause they were starting us right after some of the slower guys in the champ event. And it was a two minute gap. It wasn't supposed to be any kind of gap originally. And, um, but that two minute gap was enough because about halfway through the course, somebody had flipped. Oh. And if I had started right behind this person, I probably would have hit him. Wow. Okay. So like, there's a little bit of luck involved. Mm -hmm. Like that's mm -hmm. what I mean when stuff can always happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you got to work hard and, 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 and train and show up and be ready to go every day. But, um, there's always, always, there's always stuff that could happen. Mm-hmm. And, so there's and always that little bit of luck involved. No, 100%. I totally agree with you. I mean, that is, uh, you know, putting yourself in, in good situations and, and yeah. sometimes things work out uh, the way they're supposed to, let's say. Um, so, Hugh, how many more times in a row do you have to win it for them to rename it? Um, the Hugh McAdam 
so the most consecutive wins in any event i believe is nine by a single athlete okay so i need five more okay cool yeah i think we can do that that doesn't seem difficult doesn't i mean seem out, it doesn't uh, seem out of the realm of possibility right it's not outrageous at all I love no, it, not at all that's awesome dude well congratulations i mean that is Thank super you. cool um I uh, definitely, once I saw that you, I mean, you win anything five times in a row. I don't really care what it is. It's incredible, especially when we're talking about a national and potentially international field. So good. Yeah. congratulations to you. Thank you. What, what, is, what is it about the longer races? Because the Olympic and the, I'm, I'm going to go with air quotes, normal races are yeah. what? 2,000 meters, right? So yeah, what, is it, what is it about this race that is just, just brings out the best in you? Um, I think part of it is, again, goes back to the whole physiological side of things mm -hmm. where I, um, I, I, I have been blessed with a pretty solid VO2 and a lot of slow twitch muscle. So you point me in a direction, you say, go and I'll get there sort of thing. And I'll do it in a pre and I'll do it efficiently. Whereas, you know, somebody like, which is good for 2k racing but not the best i need to be a little bit more mm -hmm. explosive and strength based for that um so i think the longer distance just naturally play more to my strengths mm -hmm. very cool that makes sense i love it um so from the head of the trials you've also been in world cup events and world championship yep. events can you yep. just describe what the difference is for people who are not aware like myself so world cups are it's a series of three international regattas uh, held every year. The locations change, um, and they're like, uh, what's the right way of describing it? I don't want to say it's a step down from world championships um, because you're still going to get the top-end athletes mm -hmm. from each country there, but it's also an area where uh, international governing birds other national governing bodies can have their say U23 athletes race or, you know, try and select by having two or three boats in an event mm -hmm. um, and see who, who does better basically. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not, I don't want to say it's a, it's a step down, but it's um, not quite as intense as world championships, okay. which are also held every year. Mm -hmm. And then what, what, it, like, describe world championships is it one boat per country is that one like... boat per country yep okay. one boat one boat per country you don't every country doesn't have to enter a boat if they don't want to um that's up to each individual country's governing body um and where they want to allocate their funds or what they have available um but yeah you can only race one event uh one one boat per event um and it's definitely a lot more intense mm -hmm. And you've been to how many World Cup? You've been to two World Cups and a World Championship. I've been to four World Cups oh. total. Uh, 2013, one in 2013. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, two in 2016. No, one, one in 2016, two in 2017. And then uh, World Championships in 2015 and 2018. Okay, very cool. So you're you're racking up the uh, international competitions now. Um, since Trying that one, to, yeah. since that one time in Canada, look how far you've made yeah, it. Yeah, look how yeah, far you've made it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, geez, that's incredible. Um, all right, cool. So, thank you for giving us a little explanation of the sport, yeah, no training, problem. what you got going on there. So, hey, man, this is an Olympic podcast. What do we got for twenty twenty? What's uh, what's coming around the bend? 
So, I mean, the goal is to race the light double this year, world championships, and mm-hmm. make a real legit push for Tokyo in 2020 in the light double. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And yeah, what do you I mean, what do you need to do? Yeah, short and simple, but um, I'm sure the explanation can go a little deeper. So the way it's stacking up right now, I think the easiest route for me is to um, race the. We have a the first trials regatta, which is also a speed order event. So it's another new. It's semantics. Anyway, it's uh, there's a single there's singles races coming up in April. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lightweight and a heavyweight event. Um, so I'll race the lightweight single. And I think the easiest route right now is to have a really good regatta there. Um, and then hop in a double and try and get selected for the World Cups in May. Mm-hmm. I believe that's when the race, the, the next trials races. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, and we'll reassess on April 22nd. April 22nd. I love it. Yeah. Well, make sure to reach out then. Um, and Thank it's you. still you and Peter together in the, the double? No, we haven't we haven't rode together since uh, the world championships. Okay. So do you uh, have a, a new partner in mind, I guess? Uh, I've been talking to a couple of people. Yeah, okay. Trying to be trying to be a little better at the political game of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, gotta, hey, man, you got to play but, the game, right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, a lot of people... A lot of the folks that I've been talking to want to see what happens with the this regatta coming up and okay. then go from there. Very cool, man. Well, hey, good luck. Congratulations. Thank you, Thank you for everything, uh, representing and everything. So uh, another thing, you know, just want to get to last topic is kind of mm-hmm. your life outside the sport and your life after the sport. You know, as, okay. as athletes, um, you understand that, that your athletic career can only last for so long. I mean, if you make it to 40, that's fantastic. I think that'll give you enough years to uh, win the head of the Chartles and then have it renamed after you, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's that, yeah another, I think so. Five or six, something like that. So, yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's incredible to make it that long, but still at the same time, uh, it seems like you have a little bit more than that left in you, but what is, I mean, what do you do currently? Is this your full-time gig? And this is the only thing you, you, um, you, the only thing I say that like, it's a negative. Is this, is this your full-time gig? Is this your full-time job essentially right now? Basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I do, you know, again, it's only 20 to 24 hours of actual work and then, you can do stuff and recover at the same time. So like I do coach private lessons at Nathan mm-hmm. Benerson park right now. Um, or last year I was doing some volunteer coaching at Dartmouth college. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I try to keep busy and mm-hmm. stuff like that, but yeah, this is, I'd call myself an athlete first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 100% full time. I love it. Um, and yeah, you, you, the, your 24 hours that you put in a week is probably significantly harder than the 50 hours of work that I put in a week. So I think, well, you know, what you're doing is, is just fine. Um, so then what is the life after the sport? Like is, it sounds like coaching is somewhere in your blood at some point, but is there anything else that you're looking forward to, um, to potentially get out of the sport or, or stay in, uh, try and stay in full time? Uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's another conversation that I have with myself a lot and I mm-hmm. balance between a couple of different ideas mm-hmm. and depending on time of the day or time of the month, <laughs> uh, it changes. So I, you know, I do, I do enjoy coaching. I enjoy coaching at the collegiate level. Um, I did that for three, three, three years. Um, so I, I, you know, I think it would be fun to, to try that again. I don't know if I want to be an assistant coach or run my own program, but, um, Maybe, maybe getting back into coaching, that would be fun. Um, 
and then the other two ideas that I kind of bounce back and back and forth between are going back and getting my master's in either um, clinical psych or sports psychology. Interesting. What about those two? Um, I know they're not the exact same thing, but what, what about that field, I guess, is um, pulling you? Well, I, well, I got my undergrad in uh, clinical counseling psych. Okay. And I just, I, it's something that I really enjoyed um, for, you know, trying to figure out, it, it, I like the, the, the puzzle aspect of it and dealing with people. And then um, from my, again, limited experience, just undergrad, but, you know, you could see how, you know, developing a, you know, a proper plan could positively, positively influ- uh, influence somebody's life. Mm-hmm. Um you know, my my kind of interests were with um, depression, anxiety, and substance abuse, which you know that's an easy population to work with. Yeah. But if um, you know, if again, if you can work with people and see you know progress, it's a super super fulfilling, um, super it's a super fulfilling uh, job and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Sports psychology a little different. Um, again, like there's a lot, you can see a lot of, you can help. It's more with athletes than the general public, but you can still make a big difference for, for, for somebody's in somebody's life. I mean, you can, it, it, it applies to outside sports as well, but it would, you know, generally speaking, it's working with athletes and that's just more of a, it's an experience thing for me. Like mm-hmm. I've spent, you know, 10 years living, you know, trying to deal with these different psychological issues that you might, that, you know, that have cropped up over time and in, in being in sport um, and, you know, how to deal with that and cope with those situations. Mm-hmm. I love it. And uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, that's, that's um, uh, some huge undertaking, especially the, the, the drug abuse side. Um, that would be, yeah. you know, that's, you know, as you jokingly said, such an easy demographic to work with. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously a lot of, a lot of underlying things along there, but I mean, those are the people that need help and you seem like a person that likes to help people. So I do love it, man. Good stuff. Awesome. Well, Hugh, that's about it for me. Hugh McAdam, US singular, uh, USA rowing, (laughs) five time head of the Charles Regatta winner, uh, two time, two, four time world cup racer, two time championship racer, however many time national championship winner, four time, I guess, four or five, four, four, four time with probably one or two coming up in the future. Um, in 2020 Olympic hopeful, Hugh, thank you so much for hanging out with us today, man. I appreciate it. Hey, Michael, thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Our Athletes with Hugh McAdam. Um, as we, as as you heard, Hugh is an incredible, incredible dude. He's got so much going on. He's won some very, very cool events, um, U.S. national titles. I mean, this dude is is amazing, full time rower, doing everything he can to get better and better. And I love that. And that's why I'm so happy that he gets to represent us on the national stage. And potentially the world stage. Well, the world stage, but potentially the biggest world stage of the Olympics. So thank you to Q. All of his information is in the show notes. Please follow us at ourathletes.us on Instagram, at ourathletesusa on Twitter, www.ourathletes.us on the interwebs, Michael at ourathletes.us. If you have any feedback for me, I'm always open to it. Please rate, review, comment, share, subscribe. Five stars on iTunes would be extremely helpful to get this show in front of more and more people, which I'm very excited for. These stories are incredible. All I do is ask questions and I want more and more people to hear what these athletes have going on. Like Hugh 
and all the other incredible athletes I've been able to interview over the last few months. Um, anything else? Yeah. Thanks to launching podcasts, promo code Mike for $50 off their easy step-by-step video course on how to launch your own podcast. It's incredible. Learned everything I know from it. So I hope that you do the same. Um, other than that, I just hope you guys make it and just make it a great day. Why not? Right. You heard some inspiration today and might as well enjoy the rest of it. Go rock and roll. And hopefully I'll, uh, you'll be hearing from me soon. Thank you so much.